Okay, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 10, and we will read just a few verses to get started. It is great to be with you today at Miles Strait Baptist Church. CD and I appreciate so much your partnership with us in our ministry and the work that God has given us to do and has called us to do. It's been a long time, uh, a long-term partnership. Uh, you have been supporting my dad for many, many years, and you also supported Edie's father for many years, and now you've been supporting us for many years, and so it just goes on. Amen? And one day, maybe one of my grandchildren will continue this partnership with you. How about that? And that would be a great thing. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity of sitting in church right north of Nashville with my son and his family, Zane, and uh, I had a unique uh, blessing that I've never had before, and that is uh, I was able to sit next to Roman, and for the first time, he and I participated in communion, taking part in the Lord's Supper together, and it was just a blessing to be there with him. So I'm thankful for what's going on in life and the next generation and what will be accomplished in the lives of young people. It's good to see you today, and I have uh, been able to chat with many of you before the service, and it's great to hear about what God's doing in your church and your life and all that's going on here. It's good to know that Pastor today, Brother Tom and uh, Jason, are down in Panama, and they're with Cliff and Mary and Isaac, and today is a very special day because this is the inauguration service for Iglesia Bautista de Costa Verde. And uh, I get excited about this because as a missionary that is affiliated with Global Faith, Clip is gone down, he's involved in training pastors, but now they're starting a church. And so don't think that this is the culmination of a lot of work. This is really just the beginning of a long journey also. But it's exciting to know that they've got a location, they've got a group of people, and today that church is starting. So if they're not here today, it's because they're away on a very, very good cause and we're excited about what God is doing in the lives of Cliff and Mary and the beginning of this new church. So continue to pray for them. There's a lot to do when a new church is started. The church will um, need to grow. It needs to mature. And uh, Cliff is working with a Panamanian man that's been called of God to preach. And uh, one day, hopefully, when that church achieves maturity and is ready, he'll be able to become the pastor and the process can be repeated. There's a lot of work that takes place in this kind of ministry so we appreciate your support for them and the ministry they're doing in Jeremiah chapter 10 the prophet is preaching a message to God's people and he's reminding them of some very important things and I want us to read uh, just a few verses I'll begin to read in verse 6 for as much as there is none like unto thee O Lord thou art great and thy name is great in might who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. Two times in verse 6 and now in the latter part of verse 7, Jeremiah says, there is nobody like you. We sang about that this morning just a few moments ago. Then he references the people that do not believe in God, do not worship God, but they are altogether brutish and foolish. Jeremiah didn't pull any punches either, did he, when he spoke. He said, the stock is a doctrine of vanities. Silver spread into plates is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphas. The work of the workmen and of the hands of the founder, blue and purple is their clothing. They are all the work of cunning men. And then he goes back to referencing God in verse 10. But the living, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God 
and an everlasting king. And in these verses, Jeremiah references five important things about God that were true in his day. And centuries and even thousands of years later, these five characteristics about God are so important to us and need to be part of our worship, part of our Christian life, and we need to be aware of this. Jeremiah had a ministry that lasted approximately 40 years, which is a good long time. And in his day, the prophet had two primary responsibilities. One was the proclamation of God's Word. You have to remember that in their day, there was no bookstore where they sold leather-bound Bibles like we have today. There was not a finished copy of God's Word. God's Word was being written. And so the prophet had that awesome responsibility of taking the message that God had given him and proclaiming it to the people. That was an awesome privilege, but it was also an awesome responsibility. God's communication with his people then was by way of the prophets. We are blessed today. We, I'm not here to give you a new prophecy. God's word is complete. I'm here to preach the word that's already been delivered. But he had an awesome responsibility of giving this message that was being proclaimed. The second responsibility he had didn't make him a very popular man. He had to correct God's people. And that did not make him very popular. Because when we are corrected, we often resist. We sometimes push back when if we're correctly corrected, and if it's for the right things, we should respond and we should correct whatever is wrong in our lives. And that's what Israel needed to do, but... They weren't in that place yet. Most of the people were not in the place of wanting to correct the wrong in their lives. And so he was not a very popular preacher. But Jeremiah was not there to gain a popularity contest. He was there to preach God's word. He was extremely dedicated as he proclaimed God's word, even though it was not well received by many people. He was severely persecuted. They tried to assassinate him, but he was still faithful in proclaiming God's word for 40 years. He's also known as the weeping prophet. You know, for us here in our culture, in this part of the United States, and guys, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, okay? In, in our part of the world, here in the deep south, we're, we're men. We're men. Men don't cry. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. That's a result of knowing what compassion is all about. And men, if you've never been to the place where you weep out of compassion, then God will still work in your life if you allow him to, to bring you to the place where it's all right to weep for those that are lost. Weep for those who are needy in their spiritual lives. But it was also not just preaching or weeping out of compassion. He was weeping because he had a broken heart. One of the greatest lessons I've learned in my Christian life was that it's all right as a man it's all right to weep when God moves in our hearts and in our lives. And if you've never been broken to the point that you shed tears and you weep, then God still wants to work in your life where you can do that also. And Jeremiah was this man that knew what it was to boldly proclaim God's word and at the same time weep. And it had nothing to do with his masculinity or lack of masculinity. Listen, he was a man's man because he did what God called him to do. But he was the weeping prophet. And I think that one of the things we need in our ministries and our churches and our lives today is more men, more people, more believers that will weep when we see the need of the people and when God moves in our hearts and breaks our hearts. I was a young person, grew up in Mexico where a machismo image prevails and 
uh, weeping was just not what men did. And I remember when I came to the United States, I went to Tennessee Temple and, and began my studies to prepare for the ministry. And one summer I had the opportunity of going back to the field and I went back to the mission field for just a few days and it was a great trip. And I saw a ministry that had been started by my father in the early days and then as he had transitioned on and a national pastor was there, that church had gone through transitions and then another pastor was there and then another pastor was there and ultimately that church was almost abandoned. And I remember as a 19-year-old that summer going back to that church and I saw a church that as a teenager I had been in and I'd grown up in and I participated in and it was a thriving church, a bustling church, an energetic church. And on this particular night I went there, there was hardly anybody. There were six people. There were six of us. That was it. And I remember walking away that night because we had to walk to catch public transportation at that time. And on that street, there was just one lonely street lamp that was barely shedding a little bit of light. And as we walked away, I did something I had not done in all the years I'd grown up on the mission field. I saw that church, and I began to weep. The group of people that were with me were walking, and I couldn't bear for them to see me and to hear me because I couldn't contain the weeping. And so I walked across to the other side of the street to get away from that little street lamp, and I didn't want them to see me. And I realized later as I looked back on that event in my life that God was working in my heart to make me a better man. The weeping doesn't mean that we're weak. Weeping means that we are in tune with God and what he's doing in our lives. And in this passage of scripture, as Jeremiah the weeping prophet proclaims God's word and corrects God's people, he mentions five things that we all need in our lives, and you may want to jot these down today. In verse 6, he references the first thing about our incomparable God. He said, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great. And he references the greatness of God. Israel's problem was that at this particular point in their history, they were focused on their circumstances. They were looking at the tangible things that were around them, things that they could see and touch, and they were in despair. They were discouraged. Many were depressed. During Jeremiah's ministry, the three greatest political enemies that the nation of Israel had were Egypt, and then it was Assyria, and Jeremiah is right now in this point of his ministry where the power of Assyria is diminishing, and now it's the Babylonian Empire that's taken over, and they're the strong empire. And Israel looked around and said, oh, we're just one small nation, and the Egyptians are greater and mightier than we are. The Assyrians were greater and mightier than we are. And now the Babylonians are greater and mightier than we are. And they were so focused on those things that they became disheartened. And Jeremiah says, you've got to remember you have a great God. Your God is great. And he also says in verse 6, the last phrase, and thy name, O God, is great in might. And he's trying to get the people of God to realize, hey, so the Babylonians are greater in political might and in military might. And the Assyrians were bigger than us and the Egyptians are bigger than us. But our God is bigger than all of them put together. We have a great God. You have a great God. I have a great God. A lot of times we make the mistake that they made of seeing the physical things, the circumstances that surround us, and that brings us to a place of weakness in our lives. 
Israel, this was not the first time they had made this mistake. You go back in history just a few hundred years and remember when Israel was on the way from Egypt to the promised land, they decided they would send 12 men to spy out the land. Let's do a re some reconnaissance. Let's see what's going on in this place that God has promised us and we're going to. So out of every tribe, they choose 12 men. They send them there and they're gone for 40 days. They come back and the group is split. And it wasn't an even split either. <laughs> it was 10 to 2. Now, they all acknowledge the fact that in the promised land, it was, a, it was a land of blessing. It was a land of plenty. It was a land of milk and honey. It was great. But at that point, the group divides. And the ten that prevailed said, we can't go there. Those people, they're big. They're giants. We can't go. And two said, we can do it. Just because you get outvoted doesn't mean that the majority is right, folks. Just keep that in mind. Just because you're outvoted sometimes doesn't mean the majority is always right. And they never did go in to possess the land at that point. It would be years later because they focused on the wrong thing. They forgot about the greatness of God. This is a group of people that had just seen the greatness of God and all the miracles he had done in bringing them out of Egypt. They witnessed that, and now all of a sudden their faith fails them. Centuries after that, a man named Simon Peter was in a boat one day with all the rest of the disciples, and the waters are troubled, and the waves are big, and the wind is blowing, and Jesus comes walking to him on the water. And that was a source of comfort, but the waves were still big. But Peter, and I like what he does. Now, we give that guy a hard time because he was always opening his mouth at the wrong time, it seemed like. But you know what? He was the only one that had the courage to get out of the boat and said, I'm going to do that. If Jesus can walk on water, I want to walk on water. And he did good until he turned around and looked at the waves and saw the wind, and he took his eyes off Jesus. And then he said, oh, Lord, I'm going to need your help right now. And the Lord was there. And can I remind you that we also need to remember that our God is great. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, and I don't know what's happening in your world right now. And in a congregation this size, there have to be problems. There have to be challenges. There have to be difficulties. And in a congregation this size, some are going through good times and some are going through difficult times. And could I remind the ones that are going through the good times, you need to be conscious and aware of the fact that others around you may not be enjoying the good times that you're enjoying, and we need to be sympathetic and we need to be compassionate. We need to be like the weeping prophet. And could I remind you that are going through a hard time that God is still great. His greatness has not diminished one bit since the day Jeremiah mentioned these words. And he reminds the people, God is great. In the verses 6 through 10 where we read, he's comparing idolatry, the false gods, to the true God, the only God. And he, and he said, our God is greater than all those other false gods put together. God is great in his mercy. Aren't you glad about that? His mercy is great. His grace is great. Greater than my sin and greater than all my failures. His mercy and great were great, was great enough to give me salvation. He is great in his love. Even when I didn't deserve his love and his attention, his love was greater than my sin. He was great in his salvation. He's great in his forgiveness. He can forgive my sins and your sins and all of our sins and the sins of all the world. He is great in his forgiveness. He is great in his blessings. He is great in his works. 
And if you have problems today, he's greater than your problems. His answer to your problems may not be what you want, but he is greater than all the challenges and the problems that you and I are facing. He is greater than the devil. And as strong and as powerful as Satan is, he's not more powerful than God. God is great. And we need to remember that as we go through the challenging times in life. I have the wonderful privilege of being involved with several missionaries that work around the world, and I'm thrilled by what I see God doing. And it's great to see some of you here today. Brother Bowler and Mrs. Bowler are here today, and God's given them a wonderful ministry, uh, even beyond the pastoral years, and they're doing a wonderful job. Josh Reeves and his wife are doing a wonderful work with young people, and good to see these young people over there with them. It's good to see what uh, Van and Anna are doing. It's good to see what Clip and Mary are doing and all the missionaries that are with us. But, you know, Today is a good day. Cliff and Mary are seeing the inauguration of a new church, but today we have a missionary in France that's recovering. His, he went out the other day just across the street to get some supplies for a church activity, and he got hit by a car and was in the hospital for a few days. Broke his arm. Went back home, and the next day his wife was driving, and she got hit by a truck. <laughs> and she's physically okay, but the car was demolished, and they've got to buy another car. One of our missionaries that are with us went in the other day for a bomb sea, was sent home, became critically ill the next day, and had to go back to the hospital. And somehow in the hospital, while they were doing the bomb sea, he came down with E. coli, and he is critically sick right now. We have another missionary lady that's with us, and she became a widow after many years of ministry, and five years ago she buried her husband. Unless God intervenes, probably within the next few days she'll be burying her son. And in spite of all these things, God is great. And in the midst of all of our suffering and our pain and our challenges we find in life, never ever forget your God is great. And he has the ability to help you, to deliver you, to comfort you, even when it seems like there's no deliverance. There's a second thing that Jeremiah, I keep wanting to call him the Apostle Paul, and I've got it in my notes. It's Jeremiah, not the Apostle Paul. But I think they would have preached about the same thing. So if Paul slips out, you just bear with me, all right? Verse 7, seven he says, Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? And that word fear there refers to a reverence for God. We're not talking about the fear of somebody that steps back when somebody might strike them or do evil to them. We're talking about a reverence for God. Who would not have reverence for thee, O king of nations? The fear of God refers to reverence. Boy, if there's anything that we need in our lives, in our churches today, it's a holy reverence for God. Psalm 111, verse 10, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or reverence for God is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it, they have a good understanding. In the next book of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says the same thing as the psalmist said in 111, verse 10. Then he says, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Yes, that God we have is a God that needs to be revered. We revere Him because we recognize His holiness we revere him because we have a personal relationship with him, and it brings us to the point of having reference for God. I think one of the dangers in our modern Christian world is that we've made 
don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but I think sometimes we've tried to make things so casual that we're losing our reverence for God. And remember that God is always to be revered. Moses had an interest in life 120 years, and it was divided up in three 40-year periods. And it was only when he was ready to start that last 40 years of, of his life that he came to a place of knowing what it was to really have reverence for a holy God. For 40 years, he enjoyed the best of Egypt, being raised in the best of the land. For 40 years, he was out in the desert. God was humbling him. And then one day, while he's out there after 40 years of living in the wilderness, and he's taking care of sheep, the one that had grown up in the palace of a king as an adopted son is now reduced to the level of taking care of sheep out in the wilderness. And after 40 years of that, God says, okay, I think we're ready for that next phase of your life, buddy. <laughs> And one day he sees this bush that's burning and it's not consumed. And he was so consumed by curiosity, he said, I've got to see what this is all about. And he goes over there and God speaks out to him and he said, I want you to take your sandals off because you're standing on holy ground. This is a holy place. And when he got to the place where he knew what it was to revere God, God used him in a mighty way in that final stage of his life. And oh, how we need to do the same thing. We need to reverence God. There was a third characteristic about, about God that Jeremiah mentions and drop down now to verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the truth. There's never, ever been in God any falsehood. From the beginning, Satan has attempted to deceive mankind. In the Garden of Eden, Satan deceived the first couple. He twisted God's word and Jeremiah was preaching in a day when the pagan cultures that surrounded Israel had dedicated themselves to worshiping false gods. And they didn't have the truth. But he's reminding Israel, you have the true God. He is not a God of falsehoods. He is a true God. I want you to go on to the next thing. The Lord is the true God, and then he is the living God. He's alive. As Israel had observed the Egyptians, who were polytheistic, the Assyrians, polytheistic, and now the Babylonians, polytheistic, they could see their man-made gods, these objects that they made. And Israel had a god that you, you didn't make an image. In fact, they had been told they couldn't make an image of that god. Because God knew what happens when people develop images, they fall into idolatry. And Jeremiah here tells people, no, you can't reach out and touch your God. He's too big. He's a living God. He's alive. Years later, Paul would write in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes about the gospel and he defines the gospel. And the Bible tells us in that passage of Scripture, he said, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and then he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He is alive. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 12, the writer says, But when Christ had suffered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is alive. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our God is living. Our God's not dead. He is alive, as alive as he has ever been. And he's the one that helps us 
in our life. The last thing that Jeremiah reminds his people about God is this. He says, he is also an everlasting king. Our God's eternal. He's the eternal God. The history of uh, Israel is that they had been afflicted by the Egyptians. And this was because of their own departure from God's ways. This was their fault. They were suffering the consequences of their sin. So they had seen the might of the Egyptians, and then it diminished. And then the Assyrians, and then it diminished. And the Babylonians at this point were becoming that big, powerful nation. But their power and might would also diminish. But God's might never has. He is the eternal God. He is the everlasting God. In fact, it's interesting to notice that in verse 10, Jeremiah references him as the everlasting, the eternal king. You see, the king or the emperor of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and of Egypt would come and go. But God Almighty is the everlasting king. He is eternal. God is not a victim of time. You and I are. Our lives are a speck of dust in the ocean of eternity. That's what it is. I, um, you probably were going to laugh at me about what I'm about to say, but I, I do exercise. Now, I, don't, I know I don't have big, bulky muscles, I don't, but I try to do some exercise because I realize that at the age of 63, if I'm going to keep up with those grandchildren God's given me, I've got to have some energy. So, you know, the good thing about once your kids all move away is I've got more space in the house I used not to have. So if you're on the verge of losing your kids and moving out and you're so sad, it gets good, folks. <laughs> you still got the room when they come back to visit, but then you've got extra room. So now the basement, the den, it's mine when the grandkids aren't there. <laughs> this week I've had three grandkids there, so it's not mine right now. You have to step over all the toys and the war zone that's going on. But, but if they're gone, it's mine. And so I'm exercising, and, and, I, and I try to do these. It, laugh at me. I bought a beach body exercise, all right? I don't have a beach body, all right? <laughs> but I'm working on it because my body is a victim of time. I used to have a thick head of hair. It's gone. Brother Bowler is a few years older than me, and he's got hair, and I don't. Some things just aren't fair in life, amen? <laughs> it's just, but, so I'm trying, okay, I can't grow my hair back, but I'm going to see if I can keep this body going, and I'll be groaning, and every once in a while, Edie upstairs will hear me. she say, are you all right down there? Yeah, I'm just trying to exercise a little bit. One day I'm not going to answer her to see if she'll come running down to check on me. I'm just going to do that. You realize that God has never been a victim of time. Time has never diminished his ability, his power, his divinity. God's never diminished. Satan's power is temporary. The world powers are temporary, but God is the everlasting and eternal king. Well, you have to love how John finish the book of Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and in one of those verses in that last chapter he writes in the book of Revelation he says and night will be no more there will be no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever and Jeremiah is reminding his people centuries before John would write those words your God's an eternal God. Whatever happens in this life, whatever happens in this world, it's temporary. God is eternal. And if you've ever trusted God as your Savior, if you've ever trusted Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. Whatever happens in this world, 
you'll spend eternity with God. And that's a wonderful thing. But you know, there's another side to eternity. We don't hear too many messages about hell anymore, do we? But hell is real. And in the book of Revelation, where I just read, there's also the mention of the lake of fire, and that's eternal also. And as good as eternity is with God, eternity without God is the most horrible thing that you could even think of. And you can't think about how horrible it is. And I'm here to tell you today that if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why leave this place today without knowing that you have a relationship with that eternal God? Aren't you glad that Jeremiah had the courage to preach the truth? He said, God is great. He is to be revered. He is truth. He is living. And he's the eternal God. Let's let those truths impact our lives. Would you pray with me?